This is section 10 of Mark Twain Speaking. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Artemus Ward Lecture. Lecture Season, 1871-72. Ladies and gentlemen, I ask leave to introduce to you the lecturer of the evening, Mr. Charles F. Clemens, otherwise known as Mark Twain, a gentleman, I may say, whose devotion to science, aptness in philosophy, historical accuracy, and love of truth are in perfect harmony with his majestic and imposing appearance. I uh, refer uh, indirectly to, to myself. It is not, I know, customary to introduce a lecturer after having the amount of advertising that I have had, but as the management desired that the introduction should be made, I preferred making it myself, being sure by this means of getting in all the facts. My lecture is about Artemus Ward, who was one of the great humorists of our age. When I first started out on this missionary tour, it was my intention to touch in my lecture upon a number of other uncommonplace characters I have met, Bunyan, Martin Luther, Milton, and a few others, but I find that to mention all these old fellows, the companions of my childish hours, takes a great deal too much time, and therefore I confine myself to the single great man whom I have named. It is my purpose to show that Artemus Ward was America's greatest humorist, not manufactured or bogus, but a born humorist, and I will give you a skeleton outline, I have not time for more, of his life. In this outline I shall not load you down with historic facts to such an extent that you will be unable to get home with them, nor will I even make for you any of my philosophical deductions. This last promise is, on my part, a sacrifice, for I admire my philosophical deductions as I admire few other things on earth. Strange as it may seem, I have always found that the effect produced by them upon an audience was that of intense and utter exasperation. Artemus Ward was a humorist from the cradle to the grave. We cannot indeed go back to his cradle, but very early in life we find him perpetrating a witticism. The circumstances were these. When Artemus Ward was very young, he and a companion got hold of a pack of cards and learned to play euchre. Artemus was perfectly fascinated with the game, and played it as often as he had an opportunity. But it had to be done on the sly, and he had to hide his cards from his parents. So, when he was looking around for a place to hide them, the boys thought the safest place where they could put the cards was in the pocket of the minister's black gown, under the very aegis of the church. 
I don't know what Aegis means, uh, but it's a good word, and I suppose it's all right. Well, the old minister was called on to baptize a convert, and as he went down into the water wearing the gown, the cards began to come up to the surface and float off. The boys who were on the bank watching, though in great fear, kept their eyes on the cards. As it happened, there came up first two bowers and three aces. Of course, the boys were thrashed, and an old aunt of Artemis's proceeded to lecture him on the enormity of his crime. Why, said she, just imagine how the poor man must have felt when he saw the cards coming up. I should have thought he would have fainted, and I don't see how he got out. Well, said Artemis, I don't see how he could help going out on such a hand. Artemis Ward's real name, as most of you are probably aware, was Charles F. Brown. He was born in Waterford, Maine, in 1834. His personal appearance was not like that of most Maine men. He looked like a glove-stretcher. His hair, red, and brushed well forward at the sides, reminded one of a divided flame. His nose rambled on aggressively before him, with all the strength and determination of a cow-catcher, while his red moustache, to follow out the simile, seemed not unlike the unfortunate cow. He was of Puritan descent, and prided himself not a little on being derived from that stern old stock of people who had left their country and home for the sake of having freedom on a foreign shore to enjoy their own religion, and, at the same time, to prevent other folks from enjoying theirs. I don't know whether it is treasonable to speak in this way about those reverend old chaps, the Pilgrim Fathers. I am a Puritan father myself. At least, I am descended from one. One of my ancestors cut a conspicuous figure in the Boston Massacre, fighting first on one side and then on the other. He wasn't a man to stand fooling around while a massacre was going on. Why, to hear our family talk, you'd think that not a man named anything but Twain was in that massacre. And when you came to hear all about it, you'd wish that such was the case. Then I had another ancestor in the Battle of Bunker Hill. He was everything that an ancestor of mine was, killed, wounded, and missing. He was a prompt, business-like fellow, and to make sure of being the last of the three, he did it first of all, did it well, too. He was prompt that way, before a shot was fired. Why, I could stand here for a week and tell you of my distinguished ancestors, and I think I'll do it. On second thoughts, I think I won't, but go back to my subject. Ward never had any regular schooling. He was too poor to afford it, for one thing, and too lazy to care for it, for another. He had an intense, ingrained dislike for work of any kind. He even objected to see other people work, and on one occasion went so far as to submit to the authorities of a certain town 
an invention to run a treadmill by steam such a notion could not have originated with a hard-hearted man ward was a dutiful man and his first act when money began to come in on him from his lectures was to free from encumbrance the old homestead in his native town and settle it upon his aged mother besides having wit and brilliant scintillations of happy fancies artemus possessed genuine humor he once took an old queen anne musket and loaded it according to directions given by a hired man the directions were to put in a handful of powder or so a handful of bullets or so a handful of nails or so ward did as he was told only he had to take out a few of the bullets to make room for the nails the gun being loaded the boy went into the woods to shoot it off but soon as his hand got to the trigger his courage failed and finally he came home with the gun unfired and handed it in that state to his father the father sighted a sapling and let drive the result was a small earthquake old mr ward was laid up for a week the senile gentleman upon recovering asked his son to come forward he questioned him about the loading of the fowling piece why he didn't make a report the precocious youth replied he supposed that the gun would report for itself and so it did that was enough while still young he apprenticed himself to a printer in skowhegan artemus was pleased with the place and used often to pronounce the name it reminded him so much of the names of old spain and portugal because it was so different about the age of sixteen he went to boston and got on mrs partington's carpet-bagger then it was that he wrote his first piece and dropped it stealthily into the office and how proud he felt next day when they gave it to him to set up then he commenced to write and write generally he touched everything he even wrote a column of a scientific essay entitled is cats useful and sent it to the smithsonian institute he tired of settled life and poor pay in boston and wandered off over the country to better his fortune obtaining a position in cleveland as a reporter at twelve dollars a week it was while in cleveland that he wrote his first badly spelled article signing it artemus ward he did not think much of it at the time of writing it but it gave him a start that speedily sent him to the top of the ladder without touching a single run here he made himself well known in his particular line alluding to a very slow railroad he said that the railroad was a breeder of injustice he told of a convict who was started to the jail at the end of the road but got so old while going he did not answer the description when he got there speaking of this same road he once told the conductor the cowcatcher should be at the other end 
there the danger lay you can't said he overtake a cow but what's to hinder one walking in the back door and biting the passengers the wit of mr ward was very lively he was a great humorist nevertheless true he must not be compared with holmes or lowell these men have a refinement that he did not possess but this does not detract from the great showman's ability to create fun for the million the flood-tide of his popularity soon bore artemus to new york where for a time he infused new life into the columns of vanity fair a comic journal published in that city the quickening was but for a time and the paper had already entered upon that rapid decline which every american comic journal seems destined to even in its early youth artemus watched vanity fair in its death agonies saw it expire and said above its grave that he had always been of the opinion that an occasional joke improved a comic paper some of the best things attributed to artemus ward were not his indeed his celebrated expression it would be ten dollars in jeff davis's pocket if he had never been born i found in an english author who wrote some fifty years ago pounds were substituted for dollars and some other name appeared in the place of jeff davis again in one of his lectures ward used to say that to be attached to anything did not argue good feeling toward it for he knew of a horse being attached to a dray and yet being down on that dray a western journalist told me that this witticism was not original with artemus ward but that he himself was the author of it but in spite of this ward must not be regarded as a plagiarist it is possible for a man to write what he thinks is a creation but which is in fact only a memory and it is also possible for two minds at different times to happen on the same idea holmes bears witness to this in the autocrat of the breakfast table i myself have written what i thought was my own have imagined that i have created something clever and really good and found out afterwards that the whole thing had been filched from me years and years before by josephus the idea of lecturing then occurred to artemus the success of this new employment although not great at first soon exceeded his most sanguine expectations and he adopted it as a permanent profession the lectures which ward delivered with so much success all over the country were without form or consistence or sequence his first one he called the babes in the wood but my seven grandmothers the name he originally intended to give it would have been equally appropriate for anything there was in the lecture at christmas time in eighteen sixty one he opened his babes in new york and subsequently in california and elsewhere his profits during that season amounted to something like thirty thousand dollars or forty thousand dollars 
a very considerable sum for that day but a gas fitter on the new york courthouse does better than that now his success as a lecturer depended even more on the manner than on the matter his inimitable way of pausing and hesitating of gliding in a moment from seriousness to humor without appearing to be conscious of so doing cannot be reproduced so that many of his best things read flat and tame in consequence it was unkind to report him there was more in his pauses than in his words and so no reporter's pen could do him justice having lectured for three months in california artemus went over to england and opened with his panorama in egyptian hall london and lectured to the nobility as well as common people his success was so great that he threatened at one time to compel the royal family to remain away from his exhibition some of the pictures in his exhibition were most wretchedly painted of one of the pictures that of some impossible animal he assured his audience that some of the greatest artists in the city came to the hall every morning before daybreak with lanterns to inspect it they say they never saw anything like it before and hope they never will again he was always tender-footed in matters of criticism he said that some people found fault and slurred at him for not saying things like edward everett why are they so one-sided he asked edward everett ought to be slurred some i think because he can't make a speech like me in england ward was heartily received and his efforts to please were very successful but the climate of cold and fog seemed to have the effect of eating away his life and although he struggled hard he had to relinquish his vocation he lectured until his health was in such condition that he was nightly attended by his physician at the theatre one night in january four years ago the people found the doors of egyptian hall closed against them when he knew that he must die his only desire was to get home but this was denied him he got as far as southampton but his physician peremptorily forbade his attempting the sea voyage and at southampton on the sixth of march eighteen sixty seven in the thirty-fourth year of his age he died death at any time is sad but under such circumstances as these it wrings the sigh of pity from every heart artemus ward is he gone to the land of no laughter this man that made mirth for us all proves death but a silence hereafter from the sounds that delight or appall once closed have the lips no more duty no more pleasure the exquisite ears has the heart done o'erflowing with beauty as the eyes have with tears nay if aught be sure what can be sure than that earth's good decays not with earth and of all the heart's springs none are purer 
than the springs of the fountain of mirth he that sounds them has pierced the heart's hollows the place where tears are and sleep for the foam flakes that dance in life's shallows are wrung from life's deep he came with a heart full of gladness from the glad-hearted world of the west won our laughter but not with mere madness spake and joked with us not in mere jest for the pain in our hearts lingered after when the merriment dies from our ears and those that were loudest in laughter are silent in tears ladies and gentlemen my subject made it necessary for me to allude to death at all times solemn and never to be approached with levity as this is the case i think it more conducive to your and my own self-respect to stop here than to end my remarks by a flippant or ill-timed jest or jibe thanking you all very kindly for your presence and marks of approbation i bid you a good night end of artemus ward lecture read by john greenman